what I've really loved about the book of James is just the idea of how do we as uh, believers in Jesus Christ, Christians, disciples, move forward in our lives? How do we become the men and the women that God has called us to be in light of troubles and persecution? We remember that James was writing this book. He was writing this book to the Jews, but he was writing to the uh, the Jews who were dispersed, uh, they were under Roman rule and, and, and Rome had taken the Jews out of Jerusalem, out of, uh, Israel and, and moved them to different communities around the Roman empire. And again, that was strategic so that they wouldn't be able to regroup and, and fight back. Right. And so James is writing this book to believers, that's why he continues to use the term brothers, which we explained really, really early on. It was brothers and sisters that was assumed. Uh, so, you know, no offense at all. When James writes brothers, he's talking to all believers, whether you are male or female. And so we, we got that out of the way really early on that, you know, this book is written to everyone. And what's been really cool is as we've looked at our faith under pressure under trials and how we should respond, we continue to see things that are tangible and doable throughout the book so that we can, we can just have almost like a manual on how to move forward and become who God has called us to be. And so if you are newer to the Graceworks, maybe you've only been here the last couple of weeks, or maybe even today's your first Sunday, even though we're finishing up James, I would encourage you this week, it's only five chapters long, go home, read it. And just pray that God would open your eyes to some nuggets that would allow you to kind of move forward. And if you've been here every week and you're coming to the end of this sermon series and you're like, man, I don't remember a whole lot or I really didn't get much out of it. I would encourage you to do the same. Go home this week and read James asking Holy Spirit to show you all the good stuff that's in there. Right? Because I know sometimes for me, I've only been pastoring for 10 years. Sometimes for me, before I was pastoring... It wasn't that I was in a bad season of life at all. I was just busy. And so there would be weeks I would come back to church and be like, I don't remember even what they talked about last week, right? So if that's you sometimes, or maybe, like I said, through this whole book, that's normal, right? So, so uh, you know, go, go this week and check it out. See what God has for you. And then in light of what we're going to talk about today, hopefully it'll make even more sense as we're closing up this sermon series. So that would be my encouragement to you. I'm going to read really quick the entire uh, last seven verses, and then we're going to jump in. So this is a little bit different than I normally do, but I think it closes it up the book really well. So let's go ahead. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up to James. James chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 20, uh, the end of the book. And James says this, is, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years and six months, and it did not rain on the earth. 
Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that what, whoever brings him back, a sinner from his wandering, will save his soul from death, and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we thank you for this passage James wrote uh, about communication, really, communication with you. Help us to be a people who desire to pray to you and then listen to you. Listen in the silence of our prayer time. Listen to you as we read your word. Help us to hear from you, not uh, Pastor Dave or Pastor Mark or, or maybe our community group or our favorite pastor on the radio or online, but help us to listen for your words to be spoken through those people or through your word and help us to really tune into that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as I looked at this sermon uh, and, and getting ready for this sermon, I preached through James a couple times before and a couple of the things really stood out to me um, that you need God in prayer. You need God all the time. Okay, and so I'm kind of giving you just some of these big ideas right up front before we dive in. But the first part we're going to see, you need God. And and so if you were here doubting that or you think, hey, I I, I believe in God and now I kind of just cruise through the rest of my life. And then when I die, maybe I'll get into heaven. We got some work to do. And it's good work, but God wants more from you than that. He expects more from you, and and he wants to give you more. You need God, and you need him every day. And prayer is one of the ways. Uh, Praise is also, we'll get to that. But you need God all the time. The second thing we're going to see today is you need brothers. Again, using the term that James used, but it's you need brothers, you need sisters, you need community. And it's not just that you're going to need them. They're going to need you. And that's where James closes the book out. So think about that as we kind of go through this. I'll hearken back to it uh, as we're looking at some of the big ideas. But communication really is key. And we need to see that. We need to know that. We need to believe that. And then we need to move forward in that. If I were to tell you today that I have a brother and I haven't talked to him for four or five years... You would be like, man, you got to figure that out, right? You got to, you, you know, you got some work you could do there potentially, Mark. You should probably look for some healing in that re- relationship or restoration in that relationship, right? I mean, that would be my encouragement to any of you that come to me and say, hey, I haven't, I haven't talked to a sibling or, or a family member. What if I came to you and I said, hey, I haven't even talked to my dad in the last six months, you know, I haven't talked to my dad. Uh, it's just been a long time. I haven't talked to him. And uh, I, I would hope that some of you would encourage me to get that relationship right, if you can, right? And I know when we're talking about earthly relationships, there's a lot of factors that come into that. But hear me out. If we're honest with ourselves, and I don't want you to raise your hands here. If, I was on, if we're honest with ourselves and I ask for you to raise your hands, how many of you have spent time in prayer to your heavenly father in the last 48 hours? Uh, and again, I'm not taking anything away from praying at mealtimes or at bedtimes. I'm not saying that those cannot be meaningful engagements with God, but I can also tell you word for word, the prayer that I prayed every night and every night at dinner time. Uh, again, when I was a kid, 
So the idea sometimes that we get into a, a pattern and it's not that communication that God desires. But my point is, if, I, if you were really honest with yourselves, how many of you would say that, man, I, I haven't really talked to God in the last 48 hours? And then I decided I'd push that. How many of you guys, if you were really truly honest with yourselves, haven't talked to God in the last week or two? I'm talking prayer, like time where you're engaging with God, whether things are going well or difficult, and, and then you're listening for God to speak back to you. Holy Spirit, who lives inside of a believer, inside of each one of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, God lives inside of you, right? And his still small voice is going to lead you, is going to direct you. Sometimes you just, you feel it, you know he's speaking, you know he's moving you. A lot of times it's through God's word, right? He's using passages out of here. He'll bring something to mind. That's why memorization is so important. Or he might use a friend, right? Oh, that word was from God. Maybe my friend didn't even know it, but God just used them to encourage me where I'm at or whatever. But if you're not praying, if you're not communicating with God, you're not going to hear from him. And so just like I would hope you would rebuke me for just being lazy in relationships with my brother or with my dad, this morning I want to come to you and say, your relationship with God is important, it's serious, and prayer is key. And so let's see what James has to say as we look at these verses here, because he's, he's writing these verses, this closing, to some Jews who were suffering. Right? They were under the heavy hand of oppression from Rome. We know this from the beginning of the book, right? This time of dispersion was not easy on the Jewish people. He had just gotten done the last few verses talking about the cruel landowners. Uh, if you were here over the last couple of weeks, you heard about that, that these non-believing landowners uh, were ripping off people, not paying them for their day's wage, and how to respond or react to those people. James knows that the people he's writing to are going through tough times, right? And yet he has encouragement for them. And essentially what he's saying here is faith that perseveres is prayerful in sorrow, that's where he starts out this morning. Faithful, or a faith that perseveres is prayerful in sorrow. James once, James once again points out that our patience is not inactive. Remember, we've talked about that throughout James, that, that he's giving us tangible ways to do things, to look at things that have come up, and to move forward in them. And so our faith, even though it's between us and God, I believe in you, God, our faith plays out through our action. It shouldn't be private. It shouldn't be just for you. It needs to be displayed. And this active faith includes prayer. And that's where James goes first. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Well, we know these readers were suffering, right? And so James is saying, if you're suffering, you should be praying. You should be praying to God. He goes on to say then, is, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise, right? So if anyone is suffering, James knew they were suffering. The encouragement was to pray. A lot of these Jews, this is probably the lowest of lows. They're dispersed. They're away from their home. They're away from their family. They're under oppression. And they're not even getting paid for their day's wage, Right, So now they're starting to, to be hungry, if not starving. There's a lot of stuff that's weighing very heavily on these people. And James says, 
You need to pray. When you're hurting, when you're going through these tough times, you need to be praying. When you're in times of spiritual, emotional, financial, or physical suffering, lift up a heart of prayer to the God of the universe. A lot of times when we find ourselves in bad situations, we kind of throw up the Hail Marys, right? They used to call them the foxhole prayers, right? Everybody becomes a, uh, a prayer person when, when the, the garbage is hitting the fan, right? And, and yet James is saying, no, we need to be praying all the time. I know a lot of you are suffering and you should be praying, but even if, if things are going well for you, you need to be praying. The God of the universe is waiting to hear from you. And I think that there are sometimes, if not our hearts believe that he doesn't want to hear from us, at least our actions do. Whether we've wandered from him for a while and then we really need some, some advice or some spiritual guidance or some help and we're like, man, I can't pray. I, I haven't been faithful over these last few weeks or months or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm wandering. I'm, I'm not in a close place. And yet we got to believe that the God of the universe, like he says in his word, is there waiting and wanting you to talk to him. The patience and steadfastness We talked about both those things, right? That James has been talking about through the book that comes from God. If you want to be a person that's living out steadfastness in your life, that means when the, when, when things are going bad, it doesn't throw you off course. You keep going, right? And, and and patience, if you want to be a person of patience, those are things you need to ask God for. Right? Remember, this letter, we've broken it up in these small sections to try to find encouragement. They would have read this straight through. So James is saying, all these things we just talked about, if you want to be steadfast, if you want to be patient, you need to pray. Prayer is important, and that is what he is saying here. Prayer is a tool that God has given to us to use. And yet a lot of times we just leave it in our tool belt, Right? I mean, imagine being a construction worker, showing up to work and never taking the hammer out of your tool belt, right? You're walking around all day and, and you're just not doing anything. You're not accomplishing much. And I truly believe that this tool was freely given to us at the moment of salvation where we can talk to the God of the universe, that he is listening and he cares for us and he wants to help us. So here we are at the end of the book and we see that, that James is going back to right where he began. Right before we started today, I, I opened up my, my Bible to James 1, and I, I was reading there about the suffering brothers and sisters. And here at the end, James is saying, I know you're suffering. Everything that I've told you was in light of the truths that you are living out. I know you need help. So I want to encourage you in your suffering to pray. Right? Pray during this time. He begins the book that way. He ends the book that way. He was writing to a specific people at a specific time that now has has had uh, uh, truths for everyone since then, including you and I today. So we need to remember to pray during times of suffering. But not only are we to pray when things are not going well, but James tells us to pray when you are cheerful. Again, I think if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times we, we want to talk to God when things are going badly in our lives. But what happens when things are going well? What happens when you are celebrating uh, highs in your life? 
Are you engaging with God at that time? Well, James here says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Let him sing. Let him praise God. Let him boldly approach the throne of grace, not only with our requests, but also with our praise. We're to sing praises to God when things go wrong, but also when things go right. And as we we think about everything that God has done for us, that should inspire us to praise, right? We, we We should have our thankful heart coming out through words and songs of praise to a God who loves us and cares for us. Now, when we're going through these times of uh, these seasons of gratefulness where things are going well, maybe you got that promotion, maybe you got the good news that you've been waiting on. It should be impossible for you and I, brothers and sisters, to go through that without giving praise to God. That's where I want my heart to be. My first thought in the morning when I wake up, Jim and I were talking about this a little bit. I'm upright. I'm standing. Thank you, God, for the breath that you've given me. And mean that. Acknowledge that, right? I remember as a kid, there was a song that started out, love him in the morning when you see the sun rising. Love him in the evening because he took you through the day. And in the in-between time when you feel the pressure coming, remember that he loves you and he promises to stay. Well, I thought of that song this week, and I didn't sing it for you, so you can all be thankful. But I thought of that song this week, and I thought, man, that's the truth. That's what I want the truth of my life to be in my prayer life. I want to pray in the morning that I'm, thank you, God, that I'm here today. Help me to look for gospel opportunities, right? That should be my first prayer every morning. Give me an opportunity to share the good news of you with somebody, whether it's a family member, a coworker, or a friend. And then at the end of the day, I need to be thanking God that he's taken me through the day, that he's given me the opportunities that he has, that he's provided for me, all those things that we can be grateful for. But man, in the middle of the day, when I feel that pressure coming, when the, when the trials of even the day are upon us or the realities of the, the things that are going on around us are, are kind of crushing in on us, that's when I need to remember to be praying too. And so that would be my prayer for you. Let's become a people that have such thankful hearts that when things are going well, we're communicating with God more even than when things are going badly. We want to be a people of communication. Communication is key. When we think about everything that he's done for us, we should be overflowing from our hearts with thanksgiving and gratefulness. We need to live our lives celebrating Jesus Christ. God came down, right? One of the, one of the years I was preaching this sermon uh, was over Christmas season. And so we talked a little bit at that point about God coming down to earth and that idea of just being so grateful and thankful that we can't help but thank God for sending his son, Jesus Christ. And as I was looking at that and I was highlighting and deleting stuff because I knew I didn't need it again this year. So I was kind of moving things around and changing things. I thought to myself, why did I just get rid of that? Why does that have to be something that I'm thankful or grateful for only during December, right? God sent his son to this earth because he loved you. He loved you so much. He didn't want you to continue on in your sin and in your rebellion. So he sent his son here. That's something worthy of praise. Even if you don't have a good voice like me, let's not forget to sing. Let's not forget to pray. Let's not forget to thank God for what he has done for us. 
Sing songs to God that thank him for his sovereignty and control over every area of your life. Even when things look out of control to us. That's the kind of person that I want to be. And I pray that that's the same for you guys. Well, when else are we to be praying? James gives us another case. Is anyone among you sick? Okay. If you're sick, you're to call the elders of the church and let them pray over you, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, this is an interesting concept for us. So I'm going to go quickly through it. Uh, If you have more questions afterwards, I can definitely engage with you. But there are some different views on what this oil is and what anointing oil is and how it should be used. Some believe that the oil was for medicinal purposes, uh, which oil back then did have some medicinal purposes. However, the word oil that's used here is never used in scriptures in the context of medicine. So I'm not saying that it's wrong, but that's probably not where I would personally fall. Uh, some other people believe that the oil was more of a sacramental thing, that only the priests or the, 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 the leaders, the elders could put this oil on. Um, and, and it be kind of became the sacrament of, of, of oil that they use, uh, even in the Catholic church. Um, they believe that the oil would remove any remnants of sin and kind of prepare, uh, the soul ultimately for death. And, and that sort of thing. And again, I, I would probably steer away from that one and go to a third view that to me just makes the most sense uh, from what I've read and what I've studied. And, and I believe that's the case here. It's, the oil is symbolic. So hear me out here. We see throughout scripture that anointing oil sets someone apart. Uh, it, it signifies someone for a specific purpose. Right When a king uh, was, was chosen, they would anoint him with oil. Right, They would say, this person is set apart. Um, a lot of times in the Old Testament, the word anoint refers to the consecrating of something. We're going to set this apart, this person or this thing. It was used symbolically of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Um, so that's kind of where I think this is. So that idea that if, if you have the elders of the church come to pray for you or, or your community group or whatever, they're, they're going to come in around you and they're going to pray for you. Maybe they're going to lay hands on you. That's another way to set people uh, apart. Uh, even we do that when we pray for people as they're transitioning out of our church. We'll bring them up front. Right, And we'll invite people to, to come up if they know them and lay a hand on them. Or, or even you sitting out there, reach your hand out. We're, 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 we're making a, an effort to set this person apart for this moment to pray for them. Uh, and, and I think that's where I would fall. This idea of consecrating or setting apart somebody. So regardless of where you fall on it, I think James is saying that the power of healing doesn't come from the oil. Or from people who are praying for them, but it comes from the almighty healer who answers our prayers. And that's God. And I think that's what we're seeing here in this passage. Now, while elders pray over someone, I think that oil again sets them apart. Special attention uh, before God. And that's why we use oil sometimes when we gather to pray for someone who is sick. James continues on, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. 
Um, and, and this brings up a concept that might be difficult for some of you too. And, and so again, we want to talk through this. We've mentioned it a few times already in James though. Uh, here we see, not only here, but in James and other places in scripture, seems to teach that God at times... Listen up, even though we don't want to hear this. God at times sometimes disciplines his children for their sin with sickness and even premature death. Now, that's a hard word. That's a hard word to bring. I know some of you read right over and didn't catch that. Other of you might have read it and been like, wow, that seems a little bit weird. But if you, if you think about it, we have stories of this in scripture. The story of Ananias and Sapphira. Okay? Uh, it's a well-known story in the book of Acts. Um, they lie to God, they're sinning, they lie to the people, they lie to God, uh, and, and they end up dying for their sin, okay? They lied, and they were continuing on in kind of a habitual lie about some land that they had sold. We also see this in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians about the church in Corinth. So again, another opportunity if you want to read some more on that, there were, they were practicing sinful acts during communion. They weren't taking the Lord's uh, supper seriously. And it talks about sickness and illness that comes upon the people, even to the point of death. And so sitting before you today, if I were to sweep over this or sweep it under the rug and not talk about it, I wouldn't be doing what I believe I'm called to do, which is rightly dividing the word of truth every Sunday. And so I think this can be a hard concept to wrap your mind around, um, and, and, and it can frustrate us knowing that we have a loving God disciplining a believer, right? I mean, this, and this isn't just a little slap on the wrist. This is like some hard harsh, you know, uh, repercussions for the sin, but God hates sin. Are we a people that believe that when you're tempted to sin is the first thing you think of is that God hates sin. God sent his son to earth to die and pay the penalty for what this sin does to a righteous God. Do we believe that? Do we allow ourselves to understand and believe that? That God hates sin. God also hates to see his children wasting his life or their lives, so his or hers, right? Their lives through salvation, now they have been set apart to do good things. And we see that in scripture. You and I are called to do great things for God. And if we continue on in sin, we're not accomplishing what God has called us to do. So when we, when we share the good news of Jesus Christ with people, we need to be faithful to tell them, not only are you turning and repenting of your old ways, right? You're changing path, but God has called you to do great things. And and when you, as you learn those things, that's why we talk about the path of discipleship. As you learn things, as you understand them and move down that path, you are called to act in a certain way. And it brings joy. It brings so much life and, and, and health to who you are and who you are in your family and at work and in your community. But God is serious about those things. God hates sin. And he hates to see his children wasting their lives, their salvation, by living as dead people. That's what God says. Salvation brings you from death to life. Right? You're walking around as a dead man or woman before you've placed your life 
or your, your salvation in Jesus Christ before you believe the good news. And when you, when you get that free gift of salvation, when you accept that, you are now alive in Christ and you've been called to live differently. And that's what you and I need to do. And just as a parent, I want to reach out to you parents, right? Think about this. If you truly love your children, you're going to discipline them right? This isn't a, a, a parenting weekend. We're not going to just talk about parenting so we can discuss how you discipline another time. But if you love your children, you will discipline them. I was hoping for at least one amen. Just somebody agree with me here. If you don't love your children, holding back discipline is not, I mean, if you say you love your children, and you're holding back discipline, that is not love, right? Now, again, we can talk about disciplining measures and how it's best and how it's most effective, those sorts of things. I'm all about that. Let's have those discussions. But discipline comes from someone who loves that child. I don't want Cole or Abby or Ethan or Noah to make the mistakes that I made. So if I let them go on, continuing on down the same path that I know is wrong, and maybe I've gone a little bit too far down before, that's not love. So I'd rather discipline them and bring them back into line, right? And help them see that this is a proper choice to make here. There is a right and a wrong. God loves his children, and there is discipline that comes from that, whatever it takes. But hear this, not all, hear this, we are, we got to circle around to this and then move on. Not all sickness and death means that there is a specific sin, right? That God is disciplining. I'm going to say this again. Not all sickness, not all death means that there is a specific sin that's being disciplined. Now, Jesus' words If you're taking notes, or if you're struggling with what I've been preaching here for the last few minutes, just write down John chapter 9 and hear what I'm saying here, okay? Not all sickness or death means that there's a a specific sin, and we see that in John chapter 9. If you're sick, then someone has sinned, is what the disciples are asking, and Jesus clearly says no. The lame man that was sitting there that could not use his legs, the disciples wanted to know who had sinned. Why is this man not able to walk? And Jesus clearly lets him know that this is not from that. It's not because of sin. It's more descriptive than prescriptive, right? It's in this situation, this can happen. Acts. 1 Corinthians, other places. But it doesn't mean that it always does. There are some of us that, especially in our younger years, we would have been sick all the time, right? And we probably would be dead. But God is merciful and he is gracious, right? But he doesn't want his children to continue on in sin. So knowing that it's possible that sin could be the reason for sickness, James says that we should make a practice of rooting out sin in our lives by confessing our sin to one another, right? To another believer and praying for each other. Now, I, I want to take a quick moment here to encourage you. If you don't have somebody in your life that you can be vulnerable in front of, you need to get that person, Okay, 
I, I'm speaking from experience. Uh, one of my best friends, he doesn't go to our church and, and it's kind of nice that he doesn't because when I've been struggling and I need to talk to somebody, if I'm short with my kids or if I'm angry at my wife, I'd like to be able to go to this guy who I know and, and I've known him for 30 plus years. I can trust him and I can sit there and I can talk to him, right? And I can be honest with him. It doesn't mean it can't help or happen amongst, you know, friends at a church and it probably should, but it, this is a person that I know I can trust and I can go and talk to that person and confess sins, have him pray for me, tell him areas that I'm struggling in. And that's what James is encouraging these readers to do. The Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. But in a family that cares for one another. That's why we encourage community groups. Because we truly believe that's the first line. If something's going on in your life, you should be sharing that with your community group. And then obviously the pastors are always here for you. The church body is always here for you. And sometimes the problems or the opportunities are bigger than just your community group. And we're going to come around you and surround you, right? And in love, help you move through it. But the community group is where it all starts. You need to have a place where you, where you know that you can be vulnerable in front of other people. The family cares for one another. If you're not feeling well right now or feeling very righteous right now, you might need somebody to pray with. You might need somebody to talk to. You need to find somebody that's spiritually healthy that can pray for you and with you. Corporate prayer is powerful and James knows that. The prayer of the righteous person has great power. That's you. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you're a righteous person. Not because of anything you did, but because of now who you are. And you need to believe that, and then you need to act that way. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Then James goes into this section on Elijah. He was a man with a nature like yours and mine. He was a prophet, okay? That's what he was, but he is a man of prayer. Look what happened here. James wants to remind us, this hero of the faith, he prayed to God, and God listened to him, and moved in a mighty way. This should give you and I encouragement. Your prayer, my prayer, can have great effect when we pray in the name of Jesus, when we pray for his will and his plan to be done. Elijah's ministry was to confront Israel's paganism problem, right? They were, they were being tempted to, to worship idols, to pray to and to praise someone other than their God. Baal was the Canaanite God of rain and fertility, and they were being tempted as a people to worship Baal. So what does Elijah do? He says, God, we'll show him who's who. I'm praying that you will stop the rain. And for three and a half years, it didn't rain. Severe drought. And that was as a discipline, a result of Israel's sin. Now Elijah was, was alone in this. He was a lone voice for God. And he went up against 450 of Baal's prophets when he confronted King Ahab. This is a story that you can read on your own, but this is like God against Baal. This is one of those Old Testament stories that, you know, we hear about as kids and, and it was just Elijah. 
Elijah with God, right? And, and, and Israel, the Israelites' response to God's miracle, his working, three and a half years of drought, was the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And then God sent rain after Israel had repented and turned from their sin. So this is a great example of a time where confession of sin was vital to God granting a request. If you're wondering why God isn't responding to you, maybe you need to look look internally and say, am I sinning? Am I continuing on in sin? Is there unconfessed sin that I need to get my relationship right with God so that he can hear me and he can move on this? The drought was the discipline on Israel and they needed to confess their sin, their rebellion, and then that way there was escape to the consequences, which was no food growing. They were out of water. Again, now, this is, this is uh, it's not prescription. It's not that every sickness or suffering comes because of sin, but confession of sin and prayer for healing are connected. And, and James gives us a beautiful example here of Elijah. And so as we read that, we should be encouraged, Right? We must acknowledge that, that there is a time for confession of sin and turning from the way that we've been walking. The closing out of the book of James, it's kind of these two lone verses here at the end, but I think it really plays into where he's been. And this text can be slightly controversial, so I'm going to read it one more time. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. And we'll cover a multitude of sins. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to explain what this is saying and what it's not saying. Because it can be confusing. But if you just look back even at these concepts in James. Let alone the rest of scripture. I think it, it, it can be interpreted. The language makes it uh, possible that it could be misunderstood. Meaning like the way you first read it. Um, but... We, we think it, there's a pretty easy description behind it. The, the, the mistake some people make when they read this is it potentially could look like this text would prove that a Christian could lose their salvation, right? And then gain it back somehow. And, and, and yet I don't see that in the rest of scripture. So instead of just brushing these verses aside, I have to say, what is James really trying to say? What is he trying to say in light of his entire letter? And then what does he say in light of all of scripture? Uh, and, and so these, these ideas uh, need to be looked at and not just brushed aside. So that being said, we believe here that James is talking to brothers, right? He says, my brothers. In other words, you can't just write this off as saying he's talking to non-believers who are in the church, Right? That, that's one way that some people try to look at that. We don't think that that's fair either. He's saying, my brothers, brothers and sisters. He then goes for those people who have wandered from the truth, which means once they were living by the truth. And, and it makes sense in light of brothers, right? If you're brothers or sisters in Christ, you have accepted God uh, as your, the provider of your salvation, sending Jesus Christ to this earth. And, and you had the truth and you believed it and now you've wandered from it. And then, it, and then again, the third thing we're looking at here is the person being brought back. 
And, and, and again, you can't be brought back from something you didn't possess. So I think all three of those things point towards James writing to, to believers here, uh, to, to the original uh, recipients of the letter and, and who he's been writing to the entire time. So this genuine believer who has fallen away from the disciples' life and the church. That's who James is talking about here. But some of you might be looking up there going, okay, well, how do we explain the phrase sinner there, right? I mean, because we're saints, we've been saved, right? And it says anyone who brings back a sinner. Well, if you remember, even just in our study of James, he's already used the phrase sinner to speak of believers, Again, if you're taking notes, you can write, look back early. I think it's in James 1 uh, or 2. It's possible to be a saint, you and I, saved by the grace of God, and yet continue to live a life acting like a sinner. And, and so back in chapter 4, verses 8, James says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, right? And purify your hearts, you double-minded. So he's talking to believers. He's saying, you got to change your path. You need to change your actions. Living your faith out requires you to move in a different direction. But if you don't, it's not that you lose your salvation. You're just not living the life that God has called you to live. And so again, this can come across as harsh language. We've seen that a couple different times in James. But he had a purpose in writing this letter. To encourage those brothers and sisters in Christ to live in the way that they've been called to live. We don't want to waste our salvation living like sinners. We have been called to do great things. There's a purpose that James has when he writes this. And what does James say or what does he mean by saying to save his soul from death? Right? To me, that, 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 that's kind of, it's, it's kind of a heavy word there, that idea of death. We've been talking about death with sin. And, and here he says, say, but save or the word sazo in, in both its noun and verb form are used throughout scripture. So this is a a word that we see both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And and it can be used both of eternal saving and also temporal saving. In fact, in the Old Testament, 95% of the time that this word is used, it's being used in regards to temporal saving rather than eternal. Now the New Testament, it's closer to 50-50. So again, when you take a word like save and you ask what the author was meaning, you need to look at the context of the entire book, right? Because you you need to understand where he's going with that. And so the word here for save, sazo, can mean both temporal and eternal. The word for soul also doesn't need to trouble us because the word is suke, and and the, the definition of that is the condition of being alive, earthly life, so life itself. For example, uh, Jesus said the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life or suke, right, 
as a ransom for many. And that's in Matthew 20, verse 28. Clearly, Jesus did not give up his eternal soul for you and I, but he gave up his earthly life. So just like the word uh, save has two different meanings, the word soul doesn't need to bother us or trouble us here also because it can mean the life or the person. That leaves us with the the third word that can, again, be misunderstood or potentially, and that's the word death. And we have seen consistently through James that he uses the word to refer to a literal, physical death and not to eternal soul death. So if you believe those three things, which I think are, are the case here, you can see what James' intention was. Understanding these words, we can understand what James was trying to say. When we help bring a backslidden Christian back to the life of walking in relationship with God, the life the disciple should be living, that path that we should be going down, we can save his physical life if we truly believe that God's response to sin could be sickness up to the point of death. I think that's what James is saying here. It makes sense to me. In chapter one, James talks about the idea of being lured. Remember that? Lured or enticed when they're tempted And again, when you lure an animal into a trap, you're looking to trap and kill the animal. And we have to keep that in mind, that that idea is each person is tempted when he is lured, right? And then when that desire, when it conceived, it's fully conceived, it gives birth to sin. And then where does James go after that in verse 15? And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Again, we believe he's talking about the potential of physical death and not eternal death. The point of these verses is really what we want to get to, right? And we want to make sure we understand it. Now, in in, in Genesis, uh, Pastor Kevin and I were talking about Genesis this week, thinking about Cain, right? And Cain had, had killed his brother Abel. And when God met with Cain, when God looked him in the face and said, where is your brother Abel? Do you guys remember what he said? Right. Am I my brother's keeper? Right. And and Cain meant this question rhetorically, right? He assumed that God would say, oh, no, no, you're not your brother's keeper, but do you know where he's at? But God knew what had happened. Right. And, And God through scripture paints a different picture. God was serious with this question. Because I truly believe that you are your brother's keeper. You are your sister's keeper. You are responsible for those around you. When you see a brother or sister walking away or sliding back or not praying or not praising or living in sin, you are called as a loving brother or sister to bring them back under the truth of God's word. You are your brother's keeper Christians. The church is a family and the family sticks together, right? Even when a brother or a sister wander away, that doesn't change you or I. 
We're now praying for them. We're, we're talking to them. We're engaging with them. And we want them to come back, right? We need to go after them and not just let them leave. Remember the, the, the story that Jesus uses, that parable about the 99 sheep and the one that wanders. The, the shepherd doesn't stay here with the 99. He knows where the 99 are. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're in the pen. He goes after the one. And that's not just the shepherd. I know sometimes pastors are called the shepherd of the flock, and there's truth to that. We see that in Scripture. But he's talking about each one of you. Sometimes you're called to spend a little more time, a little more energy going after the one that's wandered, the one that's backslidden, the one that's not coming to church. Pastor Dave, myself, Pastor Vanessa, we don't have time to go after every single person in the church. We need you, right? We need you as Christians living the life of the disciple, going after brothers and sisters who are wandering away. This needs to, this, these couple of verses, I know it's the ending of this chapter, and this needs to kind of make sense, hopefully, and hit home. It's flowing out of this section on prayer, right? And, and we need to acknowledge that prayer is so important in all aspects of our lives, but especially if we're trying to reach somebody that's wandering. And I think that's why James puts it here. It flows right into it. And as the worship team comes back up and and we go into a time of worship, I want you to kind of think about a couple of things. Are there, is there a person in your life that you can identify that you can say to yourself, man, I haven't seen them in church for a while, or, or you might even know they're struggling right now in their relationship with God. They're living a life of sin. They're not living as God has called them to. Can you personally identify that wandering believer in your life? From this church, from your community group, or from your family, or from friendships. I want to encourage you to identify that person and then to start praying for them. Each one of us probably acknowledge that we could do more in prayer, that we could pray more often, that we could not only pray when things are going wrong, but we need to be praying and praising when things are going right. And and hopefully you've been challenged by Holy Spirit today in that fashion. But will you pray for those people in your lives that you know right now that have wandered away from the truth? Again, pray for God to identify them in your life and then start praying for them. And then the third thing is to go to them. Go after them with the intention of loving them and hopefully bringing them back to the flock. God is faithful to his children. Communication, just like in your family, is key. And as we finish up the book of James, I hope that you're encouraged in that way to become a people of action and prayer.